Trent Griffith is a pastor and a self-confessed idol worshiper. I don't know about you, but um, when we turn the calendar to August and the temperature drops, as it always does in Michigan, I always just feel like, hey, you know what's coming next? Football! Am I the only one? Am I the only one that, that struggles with this idol football? Well, naturally, he was excited when his 11-year-old son joined the Granger Rockets football team. But right before I sent him out on the field, I, I grabbed him by the face mask and I pulled him in. And I said, look, football's good. Football is not going to be God because that's a struggle for me. Some of your things, football of God, I like silly stuff like, I a football of God, let's go shopping. <laughs> All right, so what, what is your God? I mean, is, is it, the human heart can turn anything into an idol. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, senior pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. You know, there's an important theme in scriptures, and that's this that you and I are worshipers. God created us with the purpose of worshiping Him. But when sin entered the picture, it skewed the targeting system of our worship, and then we worshiped wrongly. Instead of adoring and cherishing and treasuring the God who made us, we turned to God's substitutes, and the results are catastrophic. Today, we'll see how that principle played out in the life of King Solomon and his sons, and there's some important lessons for us in it as well. A quick word to parents, today's program mentions some topics that are best heard by mature ears. Well, Pastor Trent is in the middle of a series, and it's titled Epic, and we're tracing the gospel promise all throughout the Old Testament. So let's listen to part one of this message, The Promise Divided. Here's Trent Griffith. So in our epic series, we've been tracing these epic stories about an epic promise that began all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 to a man named Abraham. And we were around and we kicked off this series at the beginning of the summer and we found that God made these four promises to Abraham. Number one, he promised to bless him, which was epic in the first place because he didn't deserve to be blessed. He deserved to be cursed just like all of us. We were living under the curse. God said, I'm going to reverse the curse. I'm going to bless you. And then secondly, he said, I'm going to give you a land. We affectionately refer to that as the promised land. And so the thirdfold promise was that he was going to, through his descendants, become a great nation. And through Abraham, all the nations of the world were going to be blessed. Even the nation of Granger, Indiana, and Buchanan, Michigan, and St. Joseph, Michigan, and Elkhart, all those nations were going to be blessed by what God was going to do through the family of Abraham. And you remember the promise gets to its peak last time we were together and we found that the people had entered the land and they'd received the promised land. The people were in the land. The king was in office. It was the son of David, Solomon. He built the temple and uh, God gave Solomon, incredible wisdom. So we had a king in office. We had wisdom in his head. We had people in the land. We had money in the bank because there was just gold and silver and cedar and horses everywhere. And then the best part of the whole thing was there was glory in the temple as God's presence saturated the place of worship and God was accessible to his people there in the temple in Jerusalem. That's where we left off the story last time we were together. Today... 
We're going to find out that even though that was the pinnacle, I got to tell you, that is the high point of the Old Testament. Glory in the temple. What we're going to find is we peak and we start to descend down the other side. And here's the big idea of the message this morning. A divided heart leads to a divided kingdom. A divided heart leads to a divided kingdom. Now, as we've learned, every time we open our Bibles to a page of Scripture, we're reading not only the story of Abraham, not only the story of King Solomon, we're reading the story of King Jesus. And even though we don't see the name of Jesus on the page, we know this is the unfolding epic story of Jesus. But if I do my job right and you do your job right, you're not only going to see Solomon's kingdom and Christ's kingdom, you're going to see your kingdom. Did you know you have a kingdom? You're like, I don't think I have a kingdom. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Your kingdom is that for which you are responsible. You are part of the kingdom. You have a brain. You're responsible for your brain. You're responsible for your thoughts. You're responsible for your influence. And here it gets outside of you. If you're married, your kingdom involves your marriage. If you have children, it involves your family. If you have a business, that's part of your kingdom, part of your influence, friendships, extended family, your net worth, your time. Do you see all of this is your kingdom and your king me and your kingdom? The question is, how's your kingdom going? And what we're going to learn today is Solomon's kingdom began to crumble when Solomon's heart began to crumble. The kingdom became divided when Solomon had a divided heart. And we're going to find out that there are actually seven signs when your kingdom starts to crumble. How's your kingdom doing this morning? Let me show you what happened to Solomon's kingdom. We're beginning in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. If you're ready, say go. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. I grew up in Oklahoma. And when, when the storm clouds started to gather and it got really dark and the winds began to swirl, we would hear off in the distance tornado sirens warning us things were not going well in Oklahoma at that point. If there were tornado sirens in Israel, they would have been going off in verse 1. Can I read that again? King Solomon loved many foreign women. I don't know about you. I have trouble loving one well. And he loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. I guess she got special treatment because she was Pharaoh's daughter. And then it lists categories of women, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidona, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Look at these sad words. Solomon clung to these in love. Well, here's the first sign your kingdom's about to crumble. You love more than one lover. And this was a warning sign that things were about to go incredibly, epically bad in this kingdom. 
he loved many foreign women. And Solomon knew better. Solomon knew the opening pages of the Bible where God created one man and he brought that one man, one woman. Notice he did not bring one man, many women. He brought one man, one woman. And God's plan from the opening pages of human history is one man is to spend a, one lifetime with one woman loving her well. That's God's design. And Solomon knew that. And if that wasn't enough, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God included a special section for what kings are to do. And this is what he said. He said, your kings in Israel shall not have many horses, much gold, or many wives. Well, if you were to take time to read back in chapter 10, do you know what that's a chronicle of? It's a chronicle of Solomon accumulating many horses, much gold, and many wives. Solomon knew he was not supposed to do this. By the way, is this a shock to you? If you've come to a Christian church, we have a Christian sexual ethic. Is it, does, does anybody know what this is? The, the, the plan from the beginning is that sex is reserved for married people. If you are a Christian, you don't have to choose to be a Christian. You, you don't have to, but if you are a Christian, you don't get a choice about what your sexual ethic will be. If you're going to surrender to Jesus, put yourself under his authority, then you are going to reserve sex for marriage, one woman, one lifetime, and statistics bear out. Married people have better sex more often than single people do. God's plan works. And so Solomon knew this. As a matter of fact, the, the, some of the most extensive teaching we have on marriage and sex we find in an Old Testament book in our Bible called Proverbs. Let me show you what some of the, the sayings are in Proverbs around this topic about loving women. Here's a verse. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. How many wives do you see in that verse? One, rejoice in one wife. It is singular. And you're supposed to find one and love one and be happy about one for a lifetime until she's no longer the wife of your youth. She's now your, the same wife in, in your youth is the wife when you're old. That's always God's plan. We find that in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 5, 18. By the way, does anybody know who wrote the book of Proverbs? Who? Wait a minute, the guy that loved many wives? Um, wait a minute, look down here in verse 3. He had 700 wives who were Disney princesses. I mean, these were not just average women. These were princess women here. And that didn't satisfy him, so it says he got 300 uh, concubines... to go along with the 700 wives and the Disney princesses. Now listen, I went to public school, but that is close to a thousand women that he had to love and love well. Why did he have a thousand women? The answer is simple. Because 999 were not enough. 
to fill the hole in his heart that God never intended to fill with women or sex. And Solomon knew better. He knew that God's plan, one woman, one man, one lifetime, rejoice in the wife of your youth. He even said this in Proverbs chapter six, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. We're told that Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And yet the wisest man who ever lived did the dumbest thing a man could do by loving more than one lover. And you know what it did? It divided his heart, it destroyed him, and it destroyed the kingdom. A thousand women. Now, a lot of guys in our culture would look at that and say, way to go. Trophy wives. Awesome. Now listen, I, I could tell you, the, the seat that I sit on, the occupation that I have given myself to, I don't look at Solomon as a champion. I pity him. Because I have seen the train wreck that comes by trying to divide your heart and filling a hole in your heart with things God never intended to satisfy, namely sex, love from other women or other men, depending on your gender, apply it to yourself. A thousand different women. Can you imagine the insecurity, the jealousy, the bitterness Solomon created in every one of those 1,000 wives as each one of them only got one thousandth of his heart? Can you imagine the contention and the strife in that home as he dishonored those women? He must have known something about that because again in Proverbs chapter 21, he wrote this verse. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome woman. If you are a man, this is not the time to amen in church. <laughs> you, think, you think Solomon knew what it was like to live among some quarreling women? Ten verses later, he amended that verse and wrote it this way. It's better to live in a desert land. Housetop, that's still too close. Desert land, that another zip code, that's better than to live with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Question. Why were the women that he knew fretful? Why were they fearful? Why were they embittered? Why were they jealous? That's what a divided heart in a husband does to a woman who doesn't have his whole heart. And we read these verses like, ah, that's, but understand this, even though nobody here today brought a thousand wives to church, almost everybody here has a screen in your pocket. And some of you spent the week looking at dozens, hundreds, maybe a thousand pornographic images to try to fill a hole in your heart with things God never intended to satisfy. Listen, the story of Solomon is put in scripture to warn us that there is not another human being on the planet that can occupy the space in your heart God intended for him. 
and you will go on search after search after search. And if you keep trying to plug in relationships, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives, parent, child, you keep trying to plug that stuff in there, you are never going to be satisfied and your kingdom is going to crumble. And listen, if you're here today and you've tried to feed your sexual appetite by images that you're seeing or even relationships or sexual activity, listen, the reason it never satisfied is because God never intended it to satisfy. And you're going to need the help and incredible humility. Go to another brother or sister, men with men, women with women, and humble yourself and say, I'm trapped, I'm caught, didn't intend to be here, my kingdom's crumbling, I need help, I need accountability. Come to one of the pastors, go to somebody in your small group, go to another friend and we will help you. This is a battle for everyone and only those who have enough humility to admit that can gain victory over it. If not, your kingdom's gonna crumble because God designed marriage to be the place where you give your whole heart to one person for one lifetime and you never should give your body to a person who is not willing to give you their whole heart, their whole life, their whole person to you in a one lifetime relationship. God wants your whole heart to go to a wife or a husband. God wants your whole heart to come to him. And that's why the second sign your kingdom's about to crumble is this, your heart turns away from the Lord to other gods. That's what happened to Solomon. Look at verse four. And when Solomon was old, sadly, he did well as a young person, and he was very foolish as an old person. And when he was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David." We read that story and we get the image of these wives bringing these little statues and and Solomon maybe to appease them bows down and worships them in some way. And and we look at that, it's like, it's so primitive. And there's probably people that still do that over in Africa or Nepal somewhere. And I'm so glad that we live in America where we're so much more advanced in our idolatry. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we don't regularly bow down to statues. Our worship usually takes place in shopping malls or stadiums or theaters or on golf courses or hunting ranges. Can I, can I keep going on here? We bow down to the idols of sex and success and sports and academics. Anything can be an idol. You can, the human heart has an incredible ability to be an idol factory. So what is your idol? An idol is anything you think is more important than God. Anything can be an idol. Uh, Anything that consumes your thinking, anything that consumes your calendar, your time, anything that consumes your money can be your idol. An idol is anything that you seek to give you what only God can provide. And an idol is anything that you think You can't live without. Let me ask you this. Is there any person, any possession, or any place that if it was taken away from you, you would feel like your life is not worth living? That's your idol. 
And if it's caught your heart, it's turned your heart away from God. You say, no, I, I, still, I still love God. I still worship God. Yes, yeah, so did Solomon. It was not that those idols replaced God. It's that simply he worshiped God and the hundreds of idols those, those foreign women brought to him. And we do the same thing. Those idols have to be turned from, repented of. They have to be replaced by a wholehearted affection, adoration of Jesus as the primary person who gets everything and everything else falls in line. I don't know about you, but um, when we turn the calendar to August and the temperature drops, as it always does in Michiana, I always just feel like, hey, you know what's coming next? Football! Am I the only one? Am I the only one that, that struggles with this idol football? Okay, good. So, so I have Scott, an, an 11-year-old Scott. He started his football career this week. And so he, he went out for Granger Rocket football. And, and I'm, I'm just, I'm having a great time. I'm like, you know, shoving the helmet on him, putting the pads on. And I'm like reliving my 11-year-old football experience and just having a great time. But right before I sent him out on the field, I, I grabbed him by the face mask and I pulled him in. And I said, look, football's good. Football is not going to be God because that's a struggle for me. Some of your things, football of God, that's silly stuff. Like, I need a football of God. Let's go shopping. <laughs> All right, so what, what is your God? I mean, is, is it, the human heart can turn anything into an idol. And so we have to make sure that our hearts are not turned away to other gods with little G's. Little gods with little G's can steal your heart. And if it does, you know what's going to happen? Your kingdom's going to crumble. Here's the third sign your kingdom's about to crumble. You reject the counsel of older men. Go all the way down to the end of the chapter here. Verse 43 is the last verse in chapter 11. And so things are starting to unwind. I mean, it's going downhill. And we finally get to the end of chapter 11. Verse 43 says, And Solomon slept with his fathers. You understand that's not talking about a nap. That's the Bible's way of saying he died. So he died and he was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. Now, who was Solomon's dad? Answer, David. King David. King David has Solomon. Solomon's son is Rehoboam. Rehoboam now becomes the king of Israel. Everybody got that? So in chapter 12, we're introduced to another character. I want you to see it in verse 3. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, time out. I thought about calling them Ray and Jay, but that's cheesy, so I'm not going to do that. So it's Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Who is Jeroboam? Let me give you the background. Jeroboam was one of the construction project managers for King Solomon. He was a faithful, hardworking dude. And so when Solomon's dead, Jeroboam is glad because Solomon was a hard guy to work for. So Jeroboam seizes the opportunity and comes to Rehoboam and makes an appeal. That appeal is found in verse 4. Here's the appeal. Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore, lighten up. Lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. Ever, ever been in a job like that? 
He's like, man, I'm so glad the boss got fired. Maybe the next guy will be a little easier on us. And this happens with every presidential election, too. We're tired of that guy, and man, we should get somebody fresh in the office, and then pretty soon we find out, oh, man, this guy's worse than the other guy. It's exactly the story that's going on here. So Jeroboam makes the appeal to Rehoboam. Rehoboam says, I will take it under advisement. In verse 6, we read that King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men. Good news or bad news? That's good news. He went, he called the committee together. Hey, what do you guys think we ought to do? In verse 8, we found out what he did. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men. Good news or bad news? Bad news. He took counsel with the young men. Then it says this, who had grown up with him. How are the guys doing that you grew up with? Um, Something not so good. But those are the guys that are in his ear. And so he goes and listens to the guys that he'd grown up with. And I don't think they were actually that grown up at this point. But um, he'd grown up with and stood before him. Down in verse 13, we'll find out his decision. So he's listened to the old men. He's listened to the young men. Verse 13, and the king answered the people harshly forsaking the counsel of the old men that had given him. And he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy. I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. I don't want to be disciplined by a whip or a scorpion. Both sound bad, but don't don't add scorpions to the whips. What did he do? He rejected the counsel of the old men. The old men said, lighten up. They'll serve you. They'll be better. They'll produce more for you. But he rejected that counsel. If you're here today and you are of the younger generation, and by the way, everybody here is younger than somebody except one. It's just the way it works when you're in a group this size. So everybody's got something to learn. But if you are a young man and the only person you listen to is your same age, your kingdom's about to crumble. You need to regularly put yourself in a council of older men. Now, if you're sitting there feeling justified because you're 70 years old, you don't get it. The quality of your council is not measured by how many years you've lived. The quality of your council is measured by how many miles you have walked with God. And if you have walked many miles with God... You can be a young man and counsel like an old man. And so we need both. If you're an older man and you're not putting yourself in the traffic of younger men and making yourself available to the younger generation, you are missing out on what God wants you to do as an old man. And obviously I'm talking to older women as well. Translate the gender as it fits your need in this season. But make sure you don't reject the counsel of older men. Make sure you go and seek the counsel of older men. If not, your kingdom's going to crumble. Well, those were some helpful insights from Trent Griffith of Gospel City Church. We'll hear the rest of his message next week on Resonate. If you're looking for a church that teaches the Bible in a helpful, relevant way and worships Jesus passionately, why not visit Gospel City Church? For more information about service times and locations, just go to our website, mygospelcity.org. 
Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook by searching for Gospel City Church. Well, next week on Resonate, we'll hear the solution for our crumbling kingdoms. Rather than loving multiple lovers, pursuing idols, and rejecting wise counsel, we'll hear about being ready to serve a better king, Jesus. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word would resonate in your undivided heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.